Assalamu alaikum. Today we have on a fantastic guest. Her name is Ellen and she is a volunteer at the Big Ride for Palestine. Uh, being Irish and having personally spent several months in Palestine, she has seen firsthand the atrocities committed by the State of Israel and the consequences, therefore, on the people of Palestine. Her passion and activism for the cause of Palestine is unparalleled, which led her to help run the Big Ride for Palestine. I don't think I've uh, met uh, anyone more passionate uh, about Palestine than she, mashallah. Anyway, um, the ride itself is an annual event, this time taking riders from Derby to Manchester, culminating in a festival in Manchester, celebrating all things Palestine. Uh, the aims of the organisation is to bring attention to the human rights abuses in endured by the people of Palestine uh, by the mi brutal military occupation of places like Gaza, uh, the West Bank and uh, East Jerusalem, including the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And of course, uh, they raise hundreds of thousands of pounds for the people of Palestine. It's definitely worth supporting. And I'll let Ellen go into it all. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the GAPS podcast, Ellen. Thanks for coming on. We are speaking all about the big ride for Palestine. Uh, so just before we dig into all of that, just tell us about uh, yourself a little bit, your writing history and what you did. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I am Ellen. I've grown up in the UK from Irish, Irish background, Irish heritage. Um, and I've been cycling since I was a kid. I kind of grew up on a bike, really. So that's always been one of my primary and favorite modes of transport my family do lots of cycling trips and holidays um and I suppose my connection and how cycling and Palestine kind of became came together was um back in 2015 I, I went and lived out in Palestine for three months oh, wow. um yeah so I was living living in Ramallah and working out at Birzeit University and um, yeah, spent three months and, and was working alongside Palestinians, exploring the West Bank, East Jerusalem, traveling around and, um, and basically seeing and learning all about Palestine and Palestinian history. Um, and when I came back, I kind of that was something that I wanted to do. And I think um, the way that I connected that with cycling is I heard about this event that was called the Big Ride for Palestine and they cycled and supported Palestine and I was like well I want to support Palestine and I love cycling so it kind of ended up being this perfect relationship. Ellen I didn't know you were Irish and um, there's a lot of uh, I don't know gossip within the Muslim community where uh, we're like we love the Irish because <laughs> they're with Palestine you know what I mean and, yeah uh, I, I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong it's because uh, the Irish have been oppressed by England as well like they were effectively colonized yeah. and uh, in many ways they're still uh, facing the repercussions of that colonial colonialization of of and this they're a poor country aren't they? Uh, well absolutely I mean Ireland for, for, for centuries Ireland has been oppressed and under colonial rule by the United Kingdom um, and Irish people are very familiar with oppression and with being the underdog, the political underdog and being treated like second class citizens. You know, back in in the 1600s under Oliver Cromwell, he was 
there were settlements in Ireland, Protestant settlements, where they were kicking out Catholics and bringing over Protestants from England um, to try to change the demographic. Now, anyone who's familiar with Israel and Palestine might notice some similarities there. So, you know, growing up Irish, I think I grew up with a very strong sense of social justice. And my, my, that's something very important that my family kind of always wanted to instill. You know, my family came over here, came over to England in, in the 60s. And it was kind of during, you know, the troubles and the troubles kind of continued. And they were a big Irish immigrant family and they faced huge amounts of persecution and mistreatment. The kind that we, you know, we see today facing refugees and asylum seekers and people coming often from parts of Africa or the Middle East so you know the the victims have changed but the treatment hasn't and the roots of it often is kind of colonialism and and a lack of understanding and empathy um so yeah no I think Palestine is something you see Palestinian flags all over Ireland um I was recently in Belfast and on the wall they have lots and lots of memorials dedicated to Palestine so there is a real sense of uh, connection through being victims of an oppressive regime. Yeah, well, well, that's uh, that's incredible. And uh, thanks for clearing that up. There's always, uh, how do you say, a rumour, you know, the Irish, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, never got to speak to one and really ask. Everyone loves the Irish. Everyone yeah, loves the Irish. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, back to the big ride for Palestine then. Uh, what is it? So the Big Ride for Palestine is an annual event. We are an organisation. We're run by groups of a group of amazing volunteers. Um, and and uh, it's run by only volunteers, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. So we're Brilliant. all volunteers. Everyone's different backgrounds, different ages, different religions, different uh, upbringings. Um, so we run, there's about 18 of us who currently run it. Yeah, so all volunteer-led. Um, so we spend most of our free time working on the big ride which is um yeah which is an amazing thing to work on it's an annual event and what we do is we combine cycling with a desire to raise awareness uh, about the situation in Palestine and what Palestinians are facing as well as using it as an opportunity to show physical solidarity to the Palestinians you know we want to let people in Palestine know that they haven't been forgotten by people in the UK, that we recognise the situation and that we are trying in some part to, to raise awareness to the occupation. And we also use it as an opportunity to fundraise, you know, doing a big ride, a big bike ride for a lot of people. It's a real challenge. You know, they, they might cycle to the shops, but doing a 40, 50 mile bike ride in a day can be a real challenge for people. So actually, we do huge amounts of fundraising and actually we're really proud because since 2015 we raised over 300,000 pounds for charity yeah. yeah that's that's amazing amount uh, so what's the um I guess you spoke about why you're into it um but is that the same reason the big ride for Palestine began just to raise awareness so it began in 2015 and really that came out of what happened in 2014, the summer, August 2014, where we saw the bombardment of Gaza, where two, over 2,000 people were killed, including uh, 500, 600 children, and hospitals were bombed, schools were bombed. It was absolutely devastating. And as per usual, the international community stood idly by and watched as Palestinian children and Palestinian people were being murdered. Um, and 
it came out of a desire for activists to do something and to want to let people know that this isn't acceptable. This, this, you know, any kind of injustice, any kind of occupation and bombing of people, absolutely, wherever it is, should be condemned. It's not right. It's not just. It's not fair. And we should fight and do whatever we can to to say no. So activists who were also cyclists decided they wanted to do a fundraiser fundraiser bike ride and cycle from Edinburgh to London and use it as an opportunity to wave the Palestine flag, wear Palestinian flag on their chest and share information with people en route. So it happened on the year anniversary of the, the 2014 bombardment in August and about 100 riders, I think it was, cycled from Edinburgh to London And it was so successful and so popular that we've continued it ever since. Cycling through different parts of the UK to raise awareness in different areas. So so that way we've really targeted and tapped into different communities, different Palestine activist groups, people who had nothing to do with Palestine in the first place, but actually saw it as an injustice and wanted to do something. So cycling is a really powerful way, I think, to connect with people. And it's all about moving and moving is a, is kind of associated with freedom. The Palestinians don't have that. Yes. So I think there's something really powerful about us moving and moving through different space and different areas and saying we can do this, but Palestinians can't. And here is why. Yeah, Brilliant. And so you, you raised an incredible 300,000 um, pound. What is this for? Where does it go? So, We've had kind of a chosen charity for for quite a few years now who are called Mecca, so Middle East Children's Alliance. They've been kind of the primary charity that we've supported. We really wanted to raise money and funds and support children in Gaza who are obviously under siege. So there's an illegal siege and they the majority of them cannot leave. And Gaza is a population of two million and over half of that are children. So actually, when we see all these bombings and we hear about rockets being fired and drones and bombs, you know, the majority of people that are being affected, there are children um, and they're innocent. <laughs> you know, you can't accuse children of, of being malicious because it just isn't the case. They're innocent in, in, a, in a war that they don't want to be part of. So we wanted to support this organization who are working on the ground. They have partners on the ground that they that they work with. And we wanted to use sport um, as, you know, we're, we're taking part in a sporting event. And so what we've done is for quite a few years, we've raised funds for sporting equipment. So it's a way of helping these children who are facing trauma, who are experiencing trauma um, exercise. You know, there's, a, there's kind of lots of psychological um, reasons that exercise is really, really good and positive way to heal from trauma. So we've raised money and we've bought sporting equipment, footballs, bicycles, all sorts. And it's and it's beautiful seeing the kids doing bike tricks and all sorts of stuff on their bikes in Gaza. Um, but in the last couple of years, we've raised enough money and we've actually built two playgrounds in Gaza um, in areas that have been affected by bombing. So the children who are getting to use these spaces have experienced that. So that's an incredibly powerful thing. And Ellen, have you seen the the pictures of this? And, you know, sometimes you hear about charity and then you've given the money and then you don't hear about it. I'm sure it's getting uh, posted and whatnot. But have you seen the changes in these areas? 
Absolutely. Yeah, we've got pictures, we've got videos where you can see the construction all the way through to kind of the finished product. And you see the children playing on the swings and on the ramp, you know, little um, merry-go-rounds. And, and, and it is just incredible to see. I can't, I can't watch them without tearing up because you just we can't even imagine what these children have experienced in their young lives. Yeah. You know, you have yeah. eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds who have lost relatives who have experienced several bombing campaigns. And it, it's just something that we can't even begin to imagine. And I think Absolutely. knowing that we've been able to give them at least a, a little bit of enjoyment where they've had a smile on their face and they've been able to have a moment where they're just kids is is a really a powerful thing and it focuses on the human side of it you know there's war there's all sorts of political complicated conversations but ultimately the victims of these war are humans and often children and um and it's important to focus on that yeah absolutely uh, good on you guys uh, you also raised for other causes uh, what were they yeah so they? yeah so last year we uh, we worked with a group called palestine riders and they're there's a they've got a bike shop and they're also a cycling group out in Ramallah and um, we helped raise ten thousand pounds and with that money they've set up a cycling club in Amari refugee camp which is in the West Bank. Um, so now the kids in this refugee camp have access to a bike um, a bike shop where they can have bicycles and have maintenance and and that's a that's a really brilliant thing. Um, so Palestine Riders was one of the organisations we've supported. And this year we're we're hoping to do some work with an organisation called the Gaza Sunbirds, and they are a cycling club based in Gaza. And um, um, there are several people behind it. One of them was actually a kind of <laughs> was aiming to be in the Olympics uh, for cycling, but was peacefully protesting at the wall in Gaza and was shot in the leg by a sniper. And as a result of that, had to have his leg amputated. So he's had to learn how to cycle again. And um, his name's Allah. There's a video, a film all about him and his and his story. Um, but now he's having to relearn how to cycle, how to cycle and, and hopes to become a, a Paralympian one day in cycling. Um, so they're in the process of getting set up, getting access to trainers, um, bicycle equipment you know all of these things are very expensive so we're hoping to do some work with them too this year oh, that's brilliant and so you mentioned your rise challenges are uh, well you started off with the edinburgh to london uh, what other rides and challenges do you guys do yeah we've done we've kind of been to many areas over the years we've cycled from liverpool to sheffield via manchester and bradford We've cycled, we had one year where there were people coming from different areas. So Bristol, from London, from Manchester, from Liverpool, from Sheffield. And everybody met in Birmingham. And then we cycled out to the Shenstone, the Elbit factory, and had a protest. And what's we that cycled. for the listeners? So for the listeners, Elbit is, a, is an arms manufacturing company uh, that are Israeli. Uh, they are based, there's several... Several, several of them in the UK, and they produce military equipment, including drones, technology, including drones, and this equipment can be used uh, in Gaza. So the reason that we campaign against these companies is that we don't want weapons or technology that's used as a weapon to be manufactured in this country to then be sent over and used against Palestinians. So there are several campaigns against Elbit, um, 
in the UK. One is in Leicester, one is in Shenstone. Uh, there was an Elbit factory in Oldham near Manchester, but it recently it was campaigned against so many times it shut down. Excellent. But actually, they have now sold. <laughs> so it was a really successful campaign. And uh, so uh, your rides are open for all, are they? Or Yeah, absolutely. We've actually just launched our, our 2022 campaign. But what's amazing, I had an email from somebody saying, I want to do it with my friends for my 80th birthday. Oh, so wow. we've got a group of five 80-something-year-olds 80, 80 who are going to be taking part this year. But, you know, it's open for everybody and anybody of all abilities. You know, we've had people who are wheelchair users who have cycled. Um, we've had people in the 80s plus. We've had people who are babies pulling along kids in a kind of little cycle pull along thing. So we, it, it really is for people of all ages and abilities. And that's something that we're really proud of is, is how inclusive we are as a ride. Yeah. And I love the fact that you have a varying pricing structure as well, whereby you have, you know, the full price where if you're able and then you have uh, discounts for those who aren't able. Why is that important? Because it's important to show solidarity and get out on your bike, regardless of how much money you have in your bank account. Um, you know, we're facing a cost of living crisis in the UK. We've been experiencing austerity for over a decade now. You know, people, people in the UK are struggling, but that doesn't change the fact that they want to stand with other people who are struggling for different political reasons. And so for us, it's important that the ride is as inclusive as it can be. And we're fortunate that there are a lot of people in our network who have a bit more disposable income. So if they wish to, to donate a little bit extra, then they can do that in order to subsidize someone else who hasn't got as much money and so that they can take part. So that's something that's really important to us that we, we will always keep is this varying price structure. Um, is really important to us. And actually, I think that has enabled us to diversify the people that take part. Yeah, that's brilliant. And then so we've just gone through COVID. Um, and I imagine you guys still ran a ride? So it was tricky because obviously there was a restrictions of six people. So we, we, we did have to change the way that we did it. We had a ride around Manchester where people went in groups of six so that we kind of stuck to the rules and stuck to the laws. You know, that was important for us as, as citizens of this country that we stick to the, the rules and respect that. And we wanted to make sure that anybody taking part felt safe. Um, we didn't want to risk the health of anybody. So so we stayed outside and we had a distant ride. But, you know, like with everything, it was it was brilliant. We had some really successful fundraisers that year. We had a challenge, the spring challenge that we did, which was something that people could do as an individual so they could go off and, and ride and, and fundraise. And we, we had a really successful year that year fundraising. I think a lot of people weren't going out as much so they had a bit maybe a bit more disposable income and wanted to donate those to good causes um so we did continue but we did it in a in a safe way but one of the best things about the ride is the fact that you get to meet so many different people and you get to ride in this huge kind of mass um and it, and it is like a mass movement of, of people who share the same values and outlook as you and there's something really powerful about that so last year we were able to go back to that normal structure and uh, and this year as well. And so we are really grateful for that. 
before we go into this year's ride and how to sign up and what it's all about, you've just ran a challenge very recently. What was that about? Yeah, so that was our spring ride um, challenge. So it's a Strava challenge. So you, anyone can do it no matter where you are. So we actually have people taking part in Palestine, in Tunisia, in Ireland, in the UK, in Spain, I think. So it was a, it was a challenge that went internationally. Um, and so, yeah, we did it as a, as, a, as a way to get people out on their bikes and encourage them to get out of their bikes. It's kind of coming out of winter. Everyone's a bit stagnant at that time of year. And it's a way to remind people and keep their focus in the conversation on Palestine. So it's yeah. something that we, we ran in COVID and it, and it was so successful, we wanted to run it again. Um, so we did that, but we wanted to use it as a way to keep informing people and raising awareness about the situation in Palestine as well. And uh, so your big ride is up and coming, uh, July, I believe. Yes, uh, it is. So what's that about? What are you guys doing? So our main event is, yes, this July, the 29th, 30th and 31st. So we're going to be cycling from Derby to Stoke to Manchester. And then we're going to have a, a circular route around Manchester, finishing up with a protest. Um, so this is our main event. So we've just launched our, our sign-up. So if anyone is listening and they would like to join us, um, they can visit our website. All of the information that you need is there to sign up. Um, and so we'll be setting off from Derby and we, we go through small towns, big cities. We really vary the people that we see. We all have our leaflets. So we hand out information on route and, um, and, it's, and it's a fantastic event. And we'll be doing a fundraiser for that. So we'll, we'll, we'll be having at least 250 people taking part, which is yeah really exciting and people have already started we've already had a lot of people sign up which is really exciting excellent and uh, so all your challenges which i love by the way is uh, very significant like for example you had 22 miles uh, challenge a few years ago whereby you signify how far the garden cyclists can cycle which isn't very far you know what i mean what why do you do that why, why do you have significant numbers like you had 512 uh, unfortunately 512 children died in the 2014 um bombings and you ran a challenge with that number in mind uh why, why do you guys do that i found that very interesting so as i said one of the main parts of what we do is about raising awareness and you know unfortunately our media our media doesn't share uh these numbers in the way that they should um and for us we use we use cycling as a mechanism to raise awareness about what is happening in Palestine. And, it, and a big part of that is the number of people that are victimized. You know, the facts matter in this situation. The fact is that if you are in Gaza, you can cycle for 22 miles before you have to turn around because you are surrounded by a wall. And that wall is illegal under international law, you know? And we forget about these this information. You know, 500 children, you know, that that number is is horrendous. It's It's just... These, these, these numbers matter and, and we have to make sure that people know about them. You know, the length of the, of the wall, the wall that is illegal. You know, so I think using cycling and using these numbers are a way of highlighting really important facts that people need to know about the occupation and apartheid regime. And so that's why we use the numbers so that people who are taking part are aware of the facts and that people who hear about the ride will know the facts and it's you know knowledge is power and we have a duty I believe to 
share those facts and that information for our Palestinian brothers and sisters. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the passion. And I imagine 250, 300 people going up and down the country with that passion, going through the villages, towns, uh, sharing uh, and raising awareness. What, what kind of feedback or what kind of reaction do you get from the British public when you're going through down these little villages and quaint towns and whatnot? So it's so funny because people always ask, they're like, you know, do you get bad reactions? And I can honestly say, you know, I've done the ride for seven years and there has been maybe one or two, uh, you know, a handful of negative comments. The majority, the vast majority has been unbelievably positive, you know, to, to having conversations with people where they're, they're not that aware. And actually you, you, you hand them a leaflet, you have a bit of a talk, you tell them what you're doing and actually they kind of say, you know, thank you. I'm going to find out more about that. That that is powerful. And then you have other extremes where you'll be cycling down a road and cars will see what you're doing. and They beep and they beep and they beep in support. They'll go and they'll block a road so that you're protected, that the traffic's not going to come and and kind of mean that you you can stay in a big group. One year when we were arriving into London down Edgware Road, we had these, excuse me, incredible women who saw what we were doing, they whizzed off, bought loads of water bottles, drove back down the road and were handing out water bottles to us. Um, so honestly, we have incredibly positive response from the British public. You know, the British government does not represent the people on the ground. And actually, the majority of people that we go past, you know, this is this, these are tiny, tiny remote villages in countryside. And actually, we'll have people clapping and applauding us um and some people you know will just observe but actually what they'll see is lots of different faces wearing the palestine flag and that that says something that says quite a lot i think and it's interesting you mentioned that because i just wanted i was going to ask like your ride attracts different kind of faces different genders different uh you know different demographics of uh, people rich poor uh, Asian, Black, White, Muslim, non-Muslim, Christian. Uh, you even have Jews uh, supporting your cause, which is uh, incredible. Why, why do you think it attracts uh, such a wide range of people? Because the issue of Palestine shouldn't, shouldn't be divisive. You know, I think the narrative has convinced a lot of people that it is divisive, but actually... You know, people who are facing persecution who are Palestinian are not just Muslim. You know, they're also Christian. And actually, historically, they're also Jewish. And they're also not religious. You know, they're women. <laughs> they're, they're, they're men. It's, it's, you know, people who, what's happening in Palestine should, you know, should unite us. It's, it's a human rights issue. These are human rights abuses. These are people who are being oppressed by a government that is violating international law. So that should unite people. And I think one of my favorite quotes is um, by Joe Fox, oh, sorry, Joe Cox, who was the, the MP who was, who was sadly killed by a far right extremist. And, um, and it was the, that we, we have more in common than that which divides us. And I think that is something we have to cling on to because actually governments seek to divide people you know, they seek to divide us based on all sorts of reasons, religion, gender, um, 
skin color, uh, ability, you know, all sorts. But actually, I think when it comes to the issue of Palestine, because it is a human rights issue, a lot of people see that and they want to stand up. And that's something I'm really proud of. You know, our, our organizing team represents that. You know, we have got people of all different backgrounds. We have got Christians, atheists, Muslims, Jews, organizing people. We've got Irish, we've got American, British, Pakistani, uh, Thai. <laughs> you know, we've got people from all sorts of backgrounds who, who are doing this. And actually that's something that I'm incredibly proud of. And, and it's something that makes it really hard to criticize what we're doing, because like you said, you know, you'll be cycling along and you will see people wearing the same top and you might have a middle class white Christian man and you might have a young black woman and you might have a group of young, you know, Asian men or women, you know, and, that, and that's powerful, you know, seeing these people who are from different backgrounds together for a cause. That's I think that's incredibly powerful. And it's yeah, like I said, it's something I'm really I'm really proud of and I think it's important that people see that yeah I imagine a ton of people will want to support what you're doing um, but perhaps they're not cyclists or they can't make that day uh, perhaps they can't um, I don't know they yeah they just can't make your ride but how do they support if if they can't uh, do the ride itself well it's not just cyclists to kind of make the ride happen you know we have people that we need driving vans we've got catering team that we need to help feed <laughs> feed the hungry hungry riders. Um, you know, we run fundraising campaigns. So there's a whole load of positions in order to make the ride happen or support the ride that people who don't want to cycle, they're not cyclists, can do to support the ride. Um, so if anyone is listening to this, they're thinking, I'm not a cyclist, but I really want to help make this happen, then please, you know, get in touch with us. Send us an email because we're constantly looking for people to make the event happen. First aiders, dri drivers is a really important one, um, as well as catering teams. So there's lots of there's lots of roles for those who want to get involved. Yeah, and uh, financially, do you take financial support? So not for the charity itself, but perhaps to help with the organisation. If anyone wants to donate to us, it's hugely appreciated. And we make sure that, that those funds go into supporting the ride and maintaining the ride. We are an organization. Um, we've just, I don't know if anyone's listening, hopefully they are following us on social media because we have just launched our, our brand new branding and, and look, which we're really pleased. It's um That's um, exciting. It is exciting. And I think it's um it's a look that we feel really represents us. It's it's bright and I think it's inclusive and inviting and that's what we want it to be. Um, so that's a fantastic thing. We're really excited about that. Um, what was the rest of the question? No, it was just <laughs> like, like uh, just question. supporting financially and in any yeah. other way, uh, not the ride itself per se, but just supporting the organisation. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone is listening and they would like to support us, um, we always appreciate donations. We put it towards either helping kind of expand the merchandise and sell kind of T-shirts, produce produce new things so that people can go and wear, wear kind of the Palestinian flag out there. Um, we use it to support riders who need subsidizing, so who can't kind of afford the the, the pricing. So we, we put money in towards that. Are we 
use the funds, you know, the, any, any donations that come our way go back into making sure the ride can happen. Um, we don't have um, consistent funding. Uh, we are, like I said, a group of volunteers and we are funded basically from people who pay to cover the costs of organising the ride. Um, so, yes, if there any, anyone's listening and they think, I could donate a little bit and to make the ride happen, you know, it'd be so welcome and we'd really appreciate that. And then we were speaking prior to you coming on about people who support what you're doing for Come on the Ride, repost what you do on Instagram, for example. There's a culture of perhaps or a fear, a real fear of being cancelled or being called anti-Semitic. How do you how do you guys uh, counter it, counter this and how would you support your supporters countering this? Well, firstly, anti-Semitism is disgusting. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's put it out there first. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and it's on the rise across the world. Yeah. Um, Primarily amongst the far right. Let's let's be very clear about that. It is primarily amongst the far right that we have seen attacks um, against Jewish people throughout history. And that's something that we as people who speak up on social justice should absolutely speak up against. Um, Needless to say, you can campaign and support for Palestinian human rights without being de facto an anti-Semite. The Israeli government has pushed the narrative out there that you can't, and it is just simply not true. The people who are campaigning for Palestinian human rights are campaigning against the policies of the state of Israel. They are not campaigning against Jewish people. There is a reason. Some of the some of the biggest and most vocal activists who support Palestine are Jewish people they are Jewish voices you know there are people in our organization who ride who organize it they are Jewish there are you know if anyone's listening I I encourage you to listen to Jewish voice for peace you know these these there are organizations who are out there who are fighting against occupation and and saying you know not in my name um in the same way that when the UK government were, was bombing Iraq, that was that was not in my name. You know, as a British person, I wanted to speak out against that. That's not in my name. That doesn't represent me. And you know, a government does not represent the people. And they have the Israeli government has worked really hard to try to shut down any debate and any conversation criticizing its policies by saying that anyone who criticizes that state is criticizing Jewish people. And that's just not, it's just not true. It just is not true, especially when so many of those voices are Jewish that are being shut down, you know? And actually, I I have, in my time of campaigning for Palestine, very rarely have I come across anybody who has criticized Jewish people. Very, very, very rarely. Whereas what we are seeing is a rise of anti-Semitism amongst the far right. And I think we have to speak up against that in the way that we are speaking up and supporting Palestinians. But I think anyone who is listening, who, who fears that, you know, just know that actually people who are speaking up for Palestine are speaking up for human rights. You know, they're speaking up for Palestinian human rights. And actually the narrative is very anti-Palestinian. The idea that you can't speak up for Palestinian human rights without being bigoted against another group is just nonsensical and is and is bigoted you know it's bigotry against palestinians so we have to be very clear that we support our jewish brothers and sisters in the fight against anti-semitism and we support our 
Palestinian brothers and sisters against their fight for freedom, justice and equality from the oppression that they face at the hands of the state of Israel. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, we were discussing also, like, uh, I love the snazzy kit, Palestinian kit you have in the store, you know, and uh, you guys should definitely go check it out if you haven't already on the website. Um, but, you know, you could walk into work, uh, any workplace in the country right now, you could walk in in the public, uh, you see flags on town centres before football matches, during football matches, the celebrations, you see a Ukrainian flag everywhere and mm. no one bats an eyelid. Mm. Anytime you put out a Palestinian flag or wearing uh, one of your jerseys, like you've got to look over your shoulder almost, or perhaps you, you'll be told to go home if you wear it into the workplace, etc. cetera. Um, why do you think that is? And why, why is there that difference? Obviously, there's suffering on both sides, Ukrainians and Palestinians, and I do not want to compare what both sides are going through. Both sides are going through something absolutely horrific. Mm. Um, but just uh, focusing on the media narrative and the uh, the narrative in the country as well from the government and whatnot. Uh, mm. wh- why that difference, do you think? Yeah, well, like you said, I think, you know, what's happening in Ukraine is heartbreaking to see. And it's another there's another situation of absolute injustice. Um, but sadly, we've seen what we've seen with Ukraine is that there is shock, <laughs> shockingly, a white Western bias. And um, when we see faces that are white and European, people respond differently. The media and governments respond differently than when those faces are not white or not from Europe. And I think the situation in Ukraine is harrowing and it's heartbreaking. And like you said, we absolutely need to be speaking up and, and, and supporting Ukrainian people. Um, at the same time, it has exposed the racism of our institutions, of our government, of our media, the fact that people can speak up and show support for Ukraine, that if you do that for Palestine, you're criticised or accused of bigotry or, you know, arrested. You know, let's not forget that a 14-year-old, quite a few years ago, a 14-year-old wore a Palestine badge into school and had the police turn up as part of the prevent program, you know, and 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 that that is just wrong. It's just wrong, and and I think it's, you know, I've spoken to Palestinian friends about it, and I think you know it really breaks my heart because people will see it and they think people don't care as much about us because we're not white, and and I think that's the media and the government that that sadly perpetuate that perpetuate that narrative and it's and it's hard to see and it's hard it's really hard to see that it's it's really frustrating you know what's happening in Yemen at the moment is you know despicable it's one of the worst human rights crises what's been happening in Syria for years and what's happening in Palestine you know for those who aren't aware there was a picture that was going around on social media of a young girl standing up raising her fist against a soldier and everyone was going around on social media saying, well done to this girl. That's fantastic. We're proud of her. You stand up against that Russian soldier. And then it came out that actually it was Ahmed Tamimi, who is a Palestinian girl raising her fist against Israeli soldiers. And this is a girl who has lived in occupied territory. She's had her land taken. She's constantly surrounded by soldiers. She's had 
relatives of hers shot and killed or put in hospital. And as soon as people realized it was a young Palestinian holding her fist up, it was no longer acceptable. And I think that summarizes the double standards that we have and the racism. And we have to call that out. We absolutely have to call that out. And I think especially, you know, British citizens have to hold their government to account. And, um, and so we have to keep speaking up about this. We have to raise awareness about the double standards and push back against them. Yeah, and uh, so as you mentioned, like the media is effectively against the Palestinians. And uh, sometimes it can be very difficult to find out news of what's going on. Um, there's daily occurrences of clashes. Uh, I won't even say clashes. Like That's very wrong of me to say clashes. It's the occupying force, uh, exercising their muscles, basically. Um, and uh, it's very difficult to find news. Where, where do you get your news from? Or how do our listeners keep up to date with what's going on? That's a really great question. I, I follow Al Jazeera. Um, I follow Middle East Monitor. Um, I follow a variety of channels, the IMEU, so the Institute for Middle East Understanding um, is a Palestinian organization. So I follow a number of Palestinian and Israeli organizations who are based in, in, in Israel and Palestine and report on the ground, um, as well as Al Jazeera, who I, who I found their reporting to be slightly more um, accurate let's say, than some of the, the other media platforms that you get in the UK. Um, what might be interesting is kind of a little anecdote. When I was, when I was living there, I grew up a Guardian reader. I always listened to, the, I always read The Guardian. That was kind of my family, you know, if you're like left, left wing, <laughs> you know, we read, we read The Guardian. And, um, and when I was actually living out there, um, a friend of ours, um, their cousin, I think it was their cousin, um, it was a re relation, a close relation, was trying to get to the mosque um, and crossed a checkpoint and was shot and killed. And he was 15 years old. Um, and and it was and it's horrendous to you know to hear that uh, kind of account. Um, and then I read the Guardian to see if it was being reported on you know a child being killed at a checkpoint, being shot for just trying to go go through and go to Friday prayers and the headline I read was Palestinian man wielding knife shot at checkpoint and firstly this is not a child I think 15 14 or 15 it's not so a man you mean yeah it's not a man sorry yes yeah. yeah, so not a man you know that is a child <laughs> in most legally a child um secondly um, he wasn't just shot, he was shot 10 times, 10 times at the checkpoint. Um, and the majority of eyewitnesses denied the fact that there was a knife anywhere. And um, we've seen all sorts of accounts where Israeli soldiers plant knives on Palestinians' bodies after they've been killed um, in order to justify the execution. So that was the first time I realised that there was a Western media narrative that was not supportive of Palestinians and that was actually trying to purposefully mislead people and the power of language. Um, and I remember at the time reading it in Al Jazeera and finding the reporting was more accurate. So that for me was, was really powerful to kind of question what I'm reading and actually try to find 
information from a variety of sources. Um, but actually, for a lot of people, follow Palestinians, follow Israelis on the ground, you know, follow them on Twitter, on Instagram. You will hear a lot of stories. And there's, you know, a lot of Israelis who are speaking out. Breaking the Silence is an organization of ex-Israeli soldiers who are trying to expose the crimes of their own government. And they are incredibly brave people because they face huge amounts of, of persecution themselves and from, from other members of Israeli society. Um, they are a great organization to listen to as well as in Palestinian voices. Yeah, and uh, we could be here all day if we list what Israel are doing, you know, uh, from clearing whole areas of land, uh, chopping down olive trees, murdering people, as you, men as you mentioned, children, women, uh, men, um, you know, uh, innocent men and whatnot, uh, destroying homes, etc. Uh, what is one event or one uh, one thing that still sends uh, shivers down your spine, one, one, uh, one thing that you read, saw, or thought about or heard that still like, resonates with you? Mm. I mean, we were talking about this before the podcast, and, it's, and it is kind of how long is a piece of stream when you think about the crimes that Israel has committed against the Palestinians. Um, I mean, there is one example. I mean, last summer, you know, last May, when there was the bombardment happening after the attacks at Al-Aqsa Mosque, and then there were responses from Hamas, um, and then there was just a bombardment. And, and we see that time and time again. You know, there's blockades on, on worshippers getting to Al-Aqsa, Hamas respond, um, and then Israel bombs, and they bomb and they bomb and they bomb, and we see that time and time again. And it's heartbreaking I could barely sleep last last May seeing what was happening and seeing the the aftermath and 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 children um and actually there's a new documentary that's just come out um that I will I will send you I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head I'll see if I can before that we finish but it's all about the victims the children who are victims of it which I think is worth people following um but one thing that sticks out for me that I I, I still have kind of think about it often was when I was living out there and traveling and we went and visited a Palestinian man who was in an area surrounded by illegal Israeli settlements and the Israeli government and the military were trying to get him to move and he refused they burnt all of his crops he planted more they threw bricks through his windows he boarded them up and got new windows um, and then they came and they built a concrete wall in front of his house, right in front of his house, in front of the whole thing, so that from his home, he has fencing around it. You have military fencing, Israeli military fencing surrounding him as well. Then from behind, he is surrounded by settlers who frequently throw bricks or worse at his house. And then at the front, where is this beautiful view that looks over, uh, over the West Bank, is a huge concrete wall like the apartheid wall that runs through Israel-Palestine. And we were there and he was talking to us and telling us about his experience. And his two-year-old grandson was there, who was just the sweetest little child. And he, he came and sat on my lap and kind of cuddled up and we were playing all afternoon and then he fell asleep on me. And, um, and then we had to go. And I had to leave this two-year-old in a situation that no child should ever be in, surrounded by people that hate him, 
just for the fact that he is Palestinian and was born Palestinian because his granddad is refusing to give up his home, uh, which is in an area that is legally under international law, Palestinian land. And I took a photo, I turned back and I saw there was a gate, there was a military gate that you had to go through to get to his house. If it was open for longer than five seconds, the military would turn up and would often cause huge amounts of issues. And, um, and I turned around and I had to see this two-year-old boy standing behind this military door, surrounded by fencing with a huge wall in front of him, surrounded by people that regularly throw bricks at him. And that was one of the most painful experiences, I think, um, to witness. And for me, summarized the horror of occupation. So that's something that I, I, I regularly think about that little boy. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do to leave him there. So I think that is probably something that is a day-to-day -day horror. And then th thanks for sharing that. Um, that's very powerful. Um, and I'm hoping he's in a better place now, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Horrific. Uh, so there's a pocket of the community, uh, the Muslim community that is, that says uh, protests and things like that, raising awareness, it does nothing for the Palestinians. Um, how true do you think that is? And uh, is that a false narrative? And should you should we dispel that here and now? Or? Absolutely. Um, protest is hard. It doesn't always work. Sometimes you take two steps back and one forward, but it is a fundamental part of a democratic society and a free and fair society that we absolutely have to uphold. You know, we're run by um, a political group who don't want us to protest. They want to take that right away from us. And we have to absolutely stand up against that. So that's for protest generally. I think there has been a shift and it's slow and it's not quick and it's certainly not quick for Palestinians, but there has been a shift in the way that people see the situation in Palestine. I've had over, since, since campaigning um, for Palestine since 2015, um, I felt like I was shouting into a void for years. In the last few years, I've had friends who I went to school with, um, in particular last summer, who have messaged and said, I have never tried to understand the situation in Palestine because it seemed too complicated. But seeing the protests you've attend, attended and the things that you've shared, I've looked into them and I can see that this is a really bad situation and I can understand why we need to support Palestine. And that's, that's powerful. That's small. It's really small, but that is powerful. A shift in perspective is powerful and actually that's what we have to cling to you know rights are not won easily you know I'm standing here I'm a free citizen and I have the right to vote and I have that because of women who came before me who threw themselves in front of horses who who protested who fought for years years and years and faced huge public backlash where the government was trying to criticize and shut them down and accuse them of being radicals you know and I have that I have that right to vote because of what they did you know we've seen these successes in the past we've seen it with civil rights movement we've seen it with 
um, the LGBTQ movement. We've seen it with women's rights. We've seen it in South Africa. It's not quick. It's not quick. But we have to keep doing it because it normalizes seeing the Palestinian flag. It normalizes having conversations, speaking up for Palestinian human rights. And we do make progress, you know, protest works. That's why this company in Oldham, the Elbit factory, was sold because they were losing money because protests were shutting it down. That's why that campaign, Shut, shut Elbit Down campaign, um, anyone who hasn't heard of it should go and support them. That works last year as a result of what was happening, the bombardment of Palestine. Over 180,000 people protested. It was the biggest protest ever seen in British history for Palestine. That's big. That matters. You know, it is often a handful of us, but actually those numbers are growing. When I started off, I was the youngest person by about 40 years in, um, in, in kind of my circles who were campaigning for Manchester. Now, you know, I'm surrounded by people in their 20s and their 30s, Muslims, Jews, Christians, women, men, you know, people of all backgrounds, like we've said, who are campaigning and fighting for this, who are talking about this. So to anyone listening to this who feels that protest doesn't matter, I, I implore you to keep fighting despite that, because they want you to give up hope and they want you to stop fighting. And actually, we can't. We never can. What kind of society would we live in if we stopped fighting for human rights and justice, you know? So I think it's important that we take part in, in events that give us hope. You know, last year at the end of the ride, I spoke to this wonderful woman and she said, cycling with people from all backgrounds who are supporting Palestine for the last few days has just given me all of the hope I need to keep fighting for justice for the next year. Helen, thanks for sharing. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, keep, keep raising awareness and do not stop protesting if you're listening. In terms of other organisations and other people doing amazing things, um, who should we support? Who can we follow? And on top of that, what can we do as well? So uh, one of the things that scholars tell us to do often is go to, go to Palestine and show your support there, spend money there, because then you're helping their, um, you're helping their economy and whatnot. And... Um, you know, sometimes you might get turned away at the airport. You might have to stay there 10 hours and they're going to waste your time sometimes. Uh, I had to wait four hours, but they say, you know, you have to wait four hours, eight hours. But that's a small price to pay for what these guys have. It's, in comparison, you can't, uh, you can't compare what they have to go through. So how can we support in other ways and uh, who can we support as well? Absolutely. No, that's a great question. And, and I, I, you know, I definitely encourage people to go to Palestine, but obviously not, not everybody has that option. Um, buy Palestinian products, you know, um, buy Palestinian olive oil, buy at Palestinian dates. Um, so Zaytun are a brilliant organization that's selling products in, in the UK. Um, Palestine Solidarity Campaign, follow their campaigns. They're often lobbying British government is really important as a campaign at the moment to ban boycott, divestment and sanctions that they are campaigning against. Support BDS, you know, boycott, divestment and sanctions work to bring back, bring down the apartheid South African regime and, you know, academics, Israeli, Palestinian and non all say that, you know, boycott, divestment and sanctions has a really important role to play in trying to bring down um, apartheid in Israel and Palestine. 
Um, follow political organizations, follow media outlets. I think we mentioned a few earlier, including Palestinian voices, you know, Mohammed and Muna Al-Qud, who became kind of social media activist famous last year from their reporting on the ground um, in Sheikh Jarrah because of the illegal um, occupation of their land in their homes in East Jerusalem. And um, a variety of other organizations, Friends of Al-Aqsa for the Muslim community, they are kind of Muslim-led, not necessarily just Muslims who support. So, you know, Friends of Alexa are fantastic. We've done lots of work with them. Um, smaller organizations that work in kind of art-based and cultural-based work is uh, an organization called the Amos Trust. Um, Jewish Voice for Peace are a fantastic one. Jewish Friends for, pa uh, Jewish Friends for Palestine. That's not quite um, the right acronym, I'm afraid. But if you Google it, you'll find them. These are all incredibly important organizations um that people can people can support and find out about and and you know us hopefully if you like cycling but also we try to share information as well about what's going on in palestine from our our palestinian friends um so i think there are huge amounts of organizations doing really really vital work out there and it's important to follow them you know israeli voices as well i think is really important for people to follow israeli voices who are talking about what their state are doing to Palestinians. You know, there are academics you can read um, and follow Ilan Pape, who's an Israeli academic who's been banned from going back to Israel because of speaking up for Palestinians. There's voices like Noam Chomsky who speaks out for Palestine. You know, these are Israeli or Jewish voices who are talking about it from an academic standpoint as well. You know, recently the Harvard Law School have just declared Israel an apartheid state. We've seen Human Rights Watch declare Israel an apartheid state. We've seen Bet Salem, Israeli human rights organization, declare Israel an apartheid state. We've seen Amnesty International declare Israel an apartheid state. These are not small organizations. These are large scale human rights organizations who have been working for decades on the ground and they are sharing information. So I encourage people to to read their reports or read the highlights of their reports and follow these organizations who are now have active campaigns against apartheid Israel and for human rights for Palestinians. Yeah, Ellen, uh, I, just like you, I've felt uh, a shift in the last few years uh, on the narrative of Palestine. More people are waking up to the fact that it is an apartheid and it's horrific what's going on and it's not complicated as most people try to uh, try to say and try to brush it underneath the carpet. You know what I mean? It's, it is an apartheid, it is an occupation, and uh, it shouldn't be going on. Um, but what, what do you think um, the future holds for Palestine itself? Um, so obviously, we're in Britain and the tide is changing, uh, but I feel like in Palestine itself, um, it, it's just getting worse and worse. What a question. Um... I think unless something changes very quickly, then there is a real risk that Palestine will cease to exist. And that's why we have to take action right now. You know, the settlements are expanding. Palestinians are increasingly being attacked and killed. Um, and Palestinians don't often have a, a kind of strong united leadership to stand up for them inside Palestine. So we have to really speak up for Palestinians. We have to empower Palestinians. We have to help elevate their voice 
so that they are heard, their experiences are being heard, because if we don't, there is a risk that they will just be silenced. And that's something that I don't think any of us can in good conscience allow, in in any conscience allow, you know, it can't be permitted. Israel cannot be allowed to get away with what they are trying to do, which is eradicate Palestine and Palestinians. You know, let's not shy away from it. That's what the expansion of settlements has been. That's what these bombing campaigns are. And we have to keep shining a light on that. And I think the international light being shone is very important. You know, our government is one of the biggest exporters of weapons in the world. They they export, they arm um, horrendous regimes. Saudi Arabia is armed by our government. Israel is armed by our government. You know, we have a, a duty as British people to say, why are we arming corrupt organizations and governments? And we have to do that and we have to do that now. And I think with my hope, my hopeful hat on, um, I truly, truly hope that we get to a place, I don't think it's going to be soon, but that we do get to a place in the future where Palestinians can live in a free and fair society as equal citizens. I hope, I really hope that, but we have to fight for that and we have to fight alongside um, our Palestinian brothers and sisters to, to try to make that happen. Yeah, I really hope the same thing. And I really hope the same thing. So just going back to your ride then. Um, so it's at the end of July. Uh, yeah. So I'll break it down. So if people are now, if they weren't at the start, um, you know, motivate, motivated to join, they are now. Hopefully, so, hopefully they're uh, encouraged, not yeah. put off. <laughs> so it starts in? July. So it's July the 29th and we'll be yeah. setting off from Derby and cycling to Stoke, staying in Stoke and cycling from Stoke to Manchester where this year for the first time we're going to be hosting a gig it's called the big gig for Palestine and we're going to be having Palestinian musicians and artists perform as a way to elevate and celebrate Palestinian culture that's something that is part of the ride um, but also people who who want to just come and support the event can buy tickets for for the big gig for Palestine as well, which is on the Saturday night in Manchester. Um, Sign-ups are available now for the big ride. If you want to cycle with us, you can cycle for all three days, two days, one day, however you wish. Um, all of that is broken down on our website. All of the information about sleeping, about transport, about the length, the route is available on our website. Um, that's www.thebigride4, number four, palestine.com. Um, and you can send us an email and someone will respond to any queries that you have. So if anyone's listened and they want to take part, please do. If anyone's listened today and they want to support in another way, like we said, non-cyclists, then please get in touch and we will definitely find a role for you. Yeah, and then uh, we normally put out that we've got such and such person coming on. So we put out the big ride for Palestine is coming on uh, and we ask our listeners if they have any questions. So. Omar asked, do you have anything going on in London? So we've got lots of riders, lots of big riders who are based in London. Like I said, we try to move the main event around every year. Last year, we cycled from Bristol to London. So this year, we're doing a more Midlands North ride. Um, but we've got local riders. So if, if, if Omar wants to be connected to some of our riders, then drop us a message on Instagram or 
Facebook or Twitter and or send us an email and we'll happily link you up. You know, we have connections all over the country now and there's lots of lots of our big riders will go cycling with people. They've created friendships, you know, from from the ride and they'll go cycling. Um, so there are there are rides happening in London that, that you can get involved in. Yeah, and then thank you for coming on and really sharing your passion. You know what I mean? Um, as you mentioned, Muslims are all for what's going on in Palestine are behind the Palestinian people, but uh, you've just shown there's support and passion from the wider public, and that empowers us as well. You know what I mean? It doesn't. It doesn't feel like oh, it's just a Muslim, another Muslim issue because, as you mentioned, there's Yemen, there's Syria, there's Iraq, and all the rest of it. And it, it's it's uh, heartening to hear that we've got wider support here. You know what I mean? So thank you for coming on and sharing that. Um, do you have any closing remarks? Palestine is a human issue, and I think it's important that we all remember that. And I think, you know, I mentioned earlier that quote, and I always come back to it, you know, we have more in common than that which divides us. Some of us are treated differently in the media by government because of accident of birth. And it's important that we ignore that and fight side by side by people, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what they look like, what gender they are, what sexuality they have, regardless of whatever religion they have. You know, it doesn't matter. We're human beings and we have a duty to stand up for other human beings and fight for peace and fight for justice for everybody, no matter who they are and where they're from. So I hope the people listening to this maybe find a sense of solidarity and hope in that. And um, and just to say thank you so much for inviting me on and thank you to everybody who listens. And um, yeah, I hope that we can see you on the ride and, um, and I look forward to hearing all of the future episodes that you put out as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you.